Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. I greet you today in the name of the Lord and our wonderful God. I also want to mention again that I have launched the a uh, few weeks ago the Patreon link, fundraising link, and I invite all of you who are listening to consider. Uh, first of all, again, I welcome your prayers as this humble ministry is still in its infant stage. And of course, prayer is needed in ministry at all levels. And I absolutely welcome and invite you to pray with me that the Lord would speak to all of us what he wants to say to us and that I would be faithful to say what he wants me to say in speaking his word. Also, the Patreon link for fundraising, if you feel encouraged, compelled, uh, led by God to contribute financially, that would mean a big uh, deal to me. And you can do so at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash into the word ministries. Let's open in prayer. And then we're going to be opening our Bibles again in Genesis 18. Dear God, our wonderful father, the one whom we have a relationship with, we can have a relationship with because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. Because Jesus Christ, you came to earth to live your life as an example for many. To die on a cross, though you were sinless, because we are such sinners. And because the need in us was so great we could not meet the sacrificial need that God the Father requires. Only Jesus Christ could you do so, and you did, because of your great love for us. May we hold fast to our faith. May we hold fast to you. May we hold fast to your word and lean on you and trust in you, and hope in you, and know that you are living and active, and you are working, and you are bringing about good for righteousness, and you are bringing about judgment for wickedness. Lord, please keep our eyes open to see where you are working, to know as you work and want to involve us in that work, and help us, God, to be faithful. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Last week, we covered Genesis 18, verse 1 through verse 15. And these three visitors, 
that Abraham was so hospitable and so generous to, and we know Scripture says one was the Lord. Now, no one, Scripture says, can see the Lord God, his face, and live. So who was the Lord here, the first part of 18? Some have said that this is Jesus Christ because he is the one manifested in the flesh. And he is the, he is God in the flesh. And that may be, all we know is the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. 18 verse 1. And the Lord said these things to Abraham while Sarah was listening. And then there is a shift from the conversation of Abraham and Sarah to what these three do next, one being the Lord. But let me back up a little bit here. In Genesis 13, verse 12, it says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot, his nephew, settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So it was all the way back in Genesis 13. Folks, it matters where we choose to make our home. It matters where you choose to build your community, and your community is around your home. And if you live very far out in the rural farmlands or away from any people, then you still have neighbors. You still have some form of community, those who are closest to you, those who you interact with. And most likely, those who you interact with are those who are in geographic proximity closest to you. And I think there is a very strong caution for all the followers of God to keep this in mind because you will be influenced by those around you. The Old Testament is very clear on this as I'm reading through the Old Testament again. And I'm in 1 Kings, had started from Genesis. You see this again and again and again. Solomon, King Solomon was faithful to God until he had all these wives and all these concubines, and they brought all of their other faiths into the house of Solomon, and it led his heart astray from the Lord later in his life. And there were consequences for that, because the Lord will not share his throne in your life. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, God's law, he meditates day and night. That's Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man. We all want to be blessed by the Lord. We want to be in relationship with the Lord. We want to be close to the Lord. Don't you want to be close to the Lord? Then you will not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You will not walk among the wicked. I'm not saying that you don't do ministry and at the right times, but you use good judgment and you don't make your home among the wicked. You will be blessed if you do not stand in the way of sinners. You don't sit you don't, you don't stand and move and actively do business with those who live in opposition to God. Actively. 
all the time, living in opposition to God. Again, I'm not saying that you don't do business with people of other faiths. I'm not saying that the people at your business, at your company, at your workplace, or at your activity group, whatever it is, your sport team, that you don't do that. Of course you do. I'm saying that those who in any group actively live in opposition to God, do things opposed to God's word and opposed to God's glory. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who is not part of them. Blessed is the man who does not be part of that group who is against God. Who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Have you been around a scoffer? Have you been around those who, <laughs> who scoff and make fun of people and deride people and divide people? Blessed is the man who is not part of them. But blessed is the man who does what? His delight, his focus, his passion, his pursuit is in the law of the Lord. Because the law of the Lord is part of the Lord, folks. The law of the Lord is who he is. The word of God is who he is. We know more of God through his word because we have his word. This is how we know God. And then, yes, through the Holy Spirit. Blessed is the man who meditates on the word of the Lord day and night. The exception, of course, and as I spoke about, is for the purpose of ministry. If you go into an area where you know people are active sinners against the Lord, where they make the focus of their group opposition against the Lord, or the focus of their group some sin, whatever the sin is, Jesus still walked among sinners for the purpose of doing ministry. But you must, of course, be strong in faith and ready spiritually for what you will face living among those or dwelling among those who not only live apart from God, but those who embrace wickedness. I think this is a very, very bold and strong caution in that for every believer. At the start of Genesis 18, God came with these two other, these three men, as the Bible describes it, all the appearance of three men, to the tent of Abraham to have the conversation, like we said, and now we pick it up in Genesis 18, 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. 
the Lord has this very personal and tender moment with Abraham as Abraham wants to be with the Lord. He said, do not pass by your servant, the preceding verses, and he wants to be with the Lord and he walks with the Lord as the Lord now turns his focus toward these wicked cities. Point number one today, when man isolates himself, he is choosing the danger of pride and sin. You'll remember before that Abraham and Lot's herdsmen and their groups and all of the men and the women and the livestock with them, they had been traveling together up to this point in Genesis chapter 13. So this was a number of months ago when we spoke about this. But they decided to separate so that there would not be disputes among their herdsmen, which there had been. Abraham and Lot, they looked over the vast country land before them. And Abraham gave to Lot and said, Go, pick for yourself where you will settle, and I will settle in a different area. So they separated from each other, and in Genesis 13, verse 12, we read, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot chose to make his home in that location. And because of what we will read soon in chapter 19, that every man in the city of Sodom was engrossed in wickedness, they had therefore isolated themselves apart from God. They pursued sin instead of being part of a community of faith in God. They turned their back on God and embraced evil. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Because when you isolate yourself, you could have the word of God, but you don't. Do you have the accountability? Do you have the encouragement? Are you sitting under the preaching of the word of God? No, there's a danger in not devoting yourself to a body of believers. I've met Christians throughout my life. I have not always, not always known this and embraced this immaturity that I am called by God to always be part of a believing church. But that is true. And by God's good grace, I've known that now for quite a stretch in my life. And the importance of it, I do not think can be understated. We need to be among other believers. Paul was among other believers. Jesus lived under the Jewish faith, and he was actively with other believers. He went up on the mountainside by himself to pray and to be alone with God, but he lived among his family, among his community, his biblical community, and then with the disciples. He did life with other believers. And the Bible says that Christ gave his life for the church. Now, obviously, that means believers. 
But God also destined for us to have each other. All the way back to the start of Genesis, he says, it's not good for a man to be alone. There's this default mechanism in the human heart that derails itself and starts going off toward sin or pride or shallowness or laziness, apathy or anger or conflict. The human mind and the human heart need, we need each other. And the Holy Spirit, yes, works in the individual Christian life, but it also works among multiple Christians doing life together. Point number two, righteousness in contrast will reap favor. Hear this word from the Lord from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, starting in verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Then I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on that day, I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was on the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. 
and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. And the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. To increase their people like a flock like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Aren't we glad? That's Ezekiel 36, 16 through 38. Aren't we glad that our God for his people has such a heart of love, such a heart of compassion, such a heart of forgiveness. Righteousness before the Lord, folks, in contrast, will reap his favor. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. In verse 17 of Genesis chapter 18, God has this tenderness with Abraham because of their relationship. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. God has this beautiful plan for Abraham. And it's because of the call God has for Abraham, because of their personal relationship that God reveals to him what he's about to carry out in judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah because the Lord is just. Point number three today, the Lord is about justice. And isn't it good that the Lord is about justice? Isn't it good that our God will bring about justice? It's not if he will bring about justice, for this thing or that, he will. To the family of a murder victim, they want justice. To the victim of abuse, they want justice. To the one who is derided or falsely accused or assaulted, they want justice. And our God sees all and our God knows all, and he will bring about justice, and it will be in his timing. We do not always see his justice in the events that transpire during our lifetime on this earth, but the Lord sees, and the Lord is not unknowing of what happens in your life, and if you are seeking justice, seek it from the Lord, because the Lord is the one 
the one and only one who will execute justice. Now, of course, there's court systems and depending on the law and what has happened to you or in your realm. I'm not saying that you don't, of course, get involved with the local government and pursue the right course for that. I'm saying at large, over the whole earth, who will bring about justice where there has been injustice? It is the Lord God. Verse 19. God says, I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. There's the word justice again. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. God chose Abraham, obviously for multiple reasons, but one of the reasons is that Abraham might what? We read it right here. Command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. It's an interesting word today, the word command. Command is to set the course, to lead as a leader, to bring about direction, to be intentional and purposeful, to be dynamic, and to draw the line in the sand, showing the word of the Lord, proclaiming the word of the Lord, preaching the word of the Lord. The father of a household is to direct the course of faith for his household. And of course, that's not in any type of ungodly way, not a dictatorial manner, but in a compelling, loving, holy, fearful manner. So that, why? There's a reason. So that his spouse and his children all clearly know that humility and obedience to God brings favor. And also that if they instead choose the way of wickedness, that those who live in wickedness will bring about God's judgment. It is the leadership in a marriage. It is the leadership in the family who is to chart the course. Men are called to be servant leaders in their marriage and to their family to propel their family toward God in faith. And if you have someone in your family who is wayward, if you have someone who goes off the rails, let it not be for the reason that you did not lovingly and with all your heart and with all your words, proclaim to them the word of the Lord. Proclaim to them that those who obey God have God's favor and those who reject God will suffer God's judgment. We are to lead our families out of holy fear of God that they might see and believe and that they might also have the holy fear of God. Point number four today, the Lord is the one who executes judgment. James 4.12 says that there is one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. The author, God and creator of all things 
the one who dwells outside of time. He is the only judge. And he will absolutely be the judge. No one is going to escape God's judgment outside of believing and trusting and hoping in Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. Verse 20. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. God describes it in sin, very grave. This is a whole nother level. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is coming down to earth to address this, these two cities. Because their sin is very grave. God says, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And God knows all. So God knows the extent of the wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah. God comes down to earth in response to the outcry, Scripture says here. Makes me wonder who, who is the outcry? Who cried out? Was it those who had been sinned against in the cities who cried out to the Lord? Was God describing the cities themselves as a figurative entity, entities? That the city, just by the city, the name, the city, that they were crying out for justice? among all of this wickedness? Is it that the earth God had made figuratively was crying out for God to rule against the wickedness? Was it the righteousness and holiness of God was striving to see wickedness be judged now that these two whole cities were engrossed in pervasive deplorable ugliness and wickedness to an abhorrent extent. Don't get me wrong. One sin, one singular sin, still requires faith in Jesus Christ to be taken away. But what we will read in the following weeks in Sodom and Gomorrah is two cities completely bent on evil, two cities filled with wicked sinners, making it their objective to fill themselves with everything but God, to actively turn their back on God and promote wickedness. The individual embraces wickedness, and then what happens? Because you have embraced wickedness, because you've filled yourself up with wickedness in your mind and in your heart and in your behaviors and in your speech, then you promote wickedness. And then wickedness becomes pervasive. Whatever it was, I don't know what the outcry to God Perhaps it was the testimony of his angelic beings. God comes down to earth 
He speaks with Abraham and Sarah and then also sends his two angels, we will read next, into these evil cities to be witnesses of what was occurring for report to God and to bring a very important message to Lot who chose to make his home there. Do not lose the seriousness of this biblical account. Though I'm sure you've heard the story of Sodom and Gomorrah many, many times. God comes to Abraham and communicates to him that God is going to bring about absolute destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah for their complete rejection of God and their complete embrace of wickedness or darkness in the passions of the flesh, which are of evil, or you could say they're of Satan. Rejection of God will bring about judgment from God. You may be punished on this earth for choices to embrace sin and choices to embrace wickedness, but all who reject God will be judged after this life and for eternity. The Bible is very clear on that, and this is the serious warning. The last point, point number five, wickedness and sin will reap judgment. Jesus says in John 15, 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and then withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. It's very vivid imagery. And Jesus continues, and this is a parallel story in Matthew, Matthew 13, verses 40 and following. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he tags conversely, my word, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father in heaven. And Jesus says that he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Those who hear the word of God and are sensitive to the word of God will have ears to hear. Those who are sensitive to the fact that God is saying he is the creator God of all things. He wants to have a personal relationship with us so that we will know life in him and know it to the fullest, John 10, 10. That we don't have to wonder how to have life to the fullest or be chasing that on earth. God says it's in him, it's in Jesus. And that outside of him is only wickedness and evil, pride and selfishness, slander and division, jealousy and discord. That outside of this, just like the Old Testament, just like all the way back, there are those who are trying to build kingdoms for themselves on this earth for their identity, for their definition, for their pleasure. And they're not seeking anything more than what they're building here on this earth. And it's so finite. And the spirit of the air 
of Satan is so at work in those things that you will not be made complete, that you will not have joy. You will not have lasting fulfillment in any of those things. You will only have it in God alone. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him know that the choice to reject God does not just mean that you're rejecting joy. It, it means that you will be entering into God's judgment. Not just after you die, but for all eternity. Something the human mind can't fully comprehend. I don't even know that we can significantly comprehend this. Because all we've ever known is time. But if you contemplate just the span of your life and think, I will be under weeping and gnashing of teeth for my entire life, and then have a multiplied factor of that to something you can't understand, then you will start to understand what God's judgment will be for eternity for those who reject God. God, who is the creator of all things. He is the one who establishes thrones and nations and removes thrones and nations. He's the author of life, the creator of this world. And he wants a personal relationship with you. And if you have a personal relationship, he wants you to know him more. He knows you completely. But as we've noticed just over the last four chapters, five chapters of Genesis, the relationship that God has with Abraham is deepening and it's growing. So much so that in verse 17 of the text this week, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? This is the Lord, the God of all things. He is the one who executes judgment. And he says such a personal, close, abiding remark, like, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? For I've chosen him. And then God speaks to him. Even before he carries out judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. God wants a closer relationship with you and with me so that we can even more be found in him and to know him more. And those who humble themselves before God and worship him alone will live with him and be found in him for eternity. This is the good news of the gospel. And that's only through the life and the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. There's no way, there is no way no way that we could get to God on our own. It's only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Bible is explicitly clear on this. And my prayer is that if you have not humbled yourself before Jesus Christ and put your whole faith and your whole hope in him, 
that you would do so. And that's by saying a prayer and inviting him in. And if you need to rededicate your life, and if you want to grow closer to him, that you would pray and ask him to do so in your life. Let's pray. Lord God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the one who said in John 14, 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That exclusive claim means Jesus alone is the way to life with you, to true life to be part of the kingdom of heaven and to know love to an unparalleled extent and to know joy, to know light, to know truth. Holy Spirit, may we be humbled before our God. Holy Spirit, may we not build for ourselves kingdoms on this earth, but repent of that mindset. Turn away from that mindset not live in isolation, not live in selfishness, not live in greed, not live in lust, not live in anger, but put all of that aside and humble ourselves before you, the one who is worthy, the one who is great, the one who is mighty. Let your people worship you in truth and in love. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 18.